to the pulpit tonight. Hey. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, man, that worship was awesome. And it's funny, too, because I'd almost, I knew that they were doing do live worship, and I almost texted Kirsty to ask her if she could sing Sorry I Fight My Battles, because that was um, really a battle cry for me. Um, and then I didn't, and here they are. So God is so good. I even prayed that there would be rain so Katie could come. So God is really good. <laughs> no offense, Cash. We want his baseball game to presume, but it'll be rescheduled. Um, okay, so thank you guys so much for coming. Um, I'm going to start off with something that's a little, um, that's fairly personal. Um, it's one of the testimonies. Um, you know, you walk through life, right? And you have a lot of different testimonies that come your way. Um, and I mean, that's just part of being human, right? And it's funny if you think you don't have a testimony, right? Because you don't have something traumatic or something big and grand that has happened to you. Like God lies to you so much in that, but walking out your faith, like just knowing that God's your father, like that's a testimony, right? Like we, we define it so weird in our mind that you have to walk through something crazy and God is so much bigger than that. So, um, but ours is a little bit, one of our, one of the parts of our testimony and my husband and I's is, um, something that we walked through. It was, um, and my husband's here tonight on security. He's an amazing man of God. Um, but we, um, I talked with him and asked if we could share it. And so he has given me the blessing to talk with you guys about this. But, um, in 2020, it was a hard year, right? Who knows that <laughs> it was a little intense. Things got a little crazy. Um, but what happened was my husband was laid off from his job and I was pregnant with our second baby. And, um, for any woman in here who has been pregnant or any woman in here who has known somebody who has been pregnant, pregnancy hormones are real and they do some crazy things, right? So mix that in with the world's on fire, literally and figuratively, right? Chaos is going on all around us. Um, my hormones are out of control and I spiraled guys. Like I was not in a healthy place and I didn't realize how unhealthy I was until now that I'm like <laughs> free from it. You realize that you were really jacked, right? But God loves you. And so <laughs> I was pretty jacked and I was living, I it's, I've never dealt with anxiety in my life. Um, I've been very, very thankful for that. Um, but that's something that I started dealing with was extreme anxiety to the point where I was almost like hallucinating and not hallucinating, but I was, it was hard for my brain to determine what was actually reality and what was not reality. So I was living in this state of watching this world go to, you know, the thing like in a handbasket and I'm trying to decipher what's going on and I've got pregnancy hormones raging and my husband gets laid off from his job and I'm trying to figure out how we're going to maintain health and benefits through my pregnancy and how we're going to do all these things. And I am living in this world with anybody who's seen I Am Legend. Like my brain is literally half my brain is telling me that in five years, our world's going to look like I Am Legend, which doesn't even make sense. I grew up in Conifer. Like I know how fast trees grow and it's not that fast. So there's no shot that a tree is going to go through a building in five years. Like, like we all know that, right? But my brain didn't know that. So somebody should have told my brain that, but that's where I was living. Like five years, I'm, this is what our world is looking like. And it's like this post-apocalyptic mindset. And then I'm watching literally as those fires were going on and the sky's black, like that just propelled it all. Right. 
So I set that up. I was not in a good place. My husband had never been laid off, had never been fired from a job. And he's walking it out. It had nothing to do with him, but the company took advantage of COVID to downsize and make some changes. And he was collateral because he was one of the newest hires. And he's walking through that. And the thing is, is we're not communicating. We're not talking. We're living as roommates. We're doing all the things that you know you shouldn't do in terms of like how a healthy marriage works with communication and all those things. And all of that went to the side. And all of a sudden now we're in a position where neither one of us was, was, um, was talking, you know, really it boiled down to neither one of us was talking to each other and he got attention from another woman. Um, and he bit and it propelled. And I found out, um, one night it was late. He had gotten a new job. He was working for select on nights, which night shift obviously, you know, only made that situation where it was more, he, it was never a physical thing that had occurred, but he, um, for all intents and purposes, it was as close to a physical relationship as you can have over text message. So, um, and I, one night his phone went off and I said, Hey, your phone went off. And he, um, you know, looked at it or whatever and went back to sleep. And I felt this prompting me to go and look at his phone. And I'm not the jealous type. I don't snoop through my husband's phone, nothing like that. But I really felt it inside me to go look. And what I found absolutely broke my heart. Um, and so here I am with two little girls in a position where I'd said, if I ever got cheated on by my husband, I would absolutely never stay. And that was an ultimatum I'd had. And I'm in a position now where I have two baby girls. One is only like, she was born in November. This was, um, February, I think when I found out. So she's only a couple months old and I'm all the things that I'd said I'd never would do. I'm now faced with how do you, how are you going to do it? And I vividly remember we were driving down one day. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it was from a doctor's appointment or what, but I, you know, obviously all the civil unrest was going on and everybody's like, there's going to be a civil war. And I remember looking at Chance, and I vividly remember this being like, I don't know, what would I ever, like, what would you do if civil war breaks out? Like, this isn't North and South. This is like neighbor and neighbor. And I don't even know, who do you know? How do you know who's on what side? You know, and like, what do you do? And... Fast forward to February, I find this all out and I hear, I'm not one who's heard God audibly very many times in my life, but I audibly heard God say, you asked me what war was like, you're at war, how are you going to handle it? And that was the moment where I realized this is, this is spiritual warfare. And this is the moment where you get to decide, are you going to lay down in your Frady hole and just sit there and let your, everything that you've worked for, everything that you've like lived, my husband and I have been together for, I think six years at the time. We're married, we're married seven now together, 10. So we've been together for a long time, you know, and he's my best friend. And I'm looking at this, like, how do you just quit on your best friend? Like, I, I can't, I can't for my girls. I can't for my husband. And so God very, very explicitly said, how are you going to go to war? And so with that testimony, you kind of have an idea of where my position comes from, like where I'm speaking to you. But what I have to share with you tonight is a battle plan that God gave me. Um, from that moment when he said, this is war, he started all of a sudden just downloading everything to me in military terms. And I don't have a whole lot of active service members in my family or anything. That's not something I'm super familiar with. 
but familiar enough. Um, and so when God said, you need to write a battle plan, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to write a battle plan. So what do you do? You Google it, right? Like <laughs> it doesn't start with Googling. So I Google it. And I'm telling you what, guys, I literally searched every keyword that you could think to put in there of like, whatever. And I, I recognize I'm also not a, like a total idiot. I know that the military, right, is not going to like give out <laughs> their like their strategies, right? Like, let's just let China Google that too, right? Like, that's not how this is. That's not how I worked. But I'm like, there is enough ROTC programs. People literally go to school for this. Like, there's got to be something on how to write a battle plan. Like, I'm not looking for, like, the secrets to our military. I'm just looking for, like, how to write a battle plan. And I could find nothing. I don't know if it was enemy blocking me. I don't know if it was God wanting me to make it my own and do it my own. I don't know what it was, but I could not. I, I searched literally everything you could think of in a battle plan. And and I'm really sorry. I might, like, end up having to strip this off because it got, I was really cold earlier, but I'm getting hot now. Um, so sorry. Um, but it was all of a sudden I'm, he's just downloading things to me in terms of like military. He starts talking to me, telling me that you need to write a battle plan and you're going to war. And, and I had dealt, we had, we had gone to war together and like spiritually for people. We had gone to war side by side for ourselves, for over things over the years. Like I, I wasn't naive to spiritual warfare, but I think you find yourself sometimes living, even though you've, it's like C-Dub's message the other weekend. Like you've lived on the coattails for so long of the disciples. They had cast out demons. They had done incredible works. They had just watched and been a physically been a part of feeding 5,000 people. And yet they're in a boat and they're still wondering if God's going to show up for them. And not even think, not even considering that he would, they were freaking out like, oh my gosh, we're going to drown. And Jesus is like, do you not get it? You know? And I think we all have those times in our life, like sometimes more than once, right? Where you're like, God, I just need you to show up now. And this was, I feel like the defining moment where both my husband and I stopped living on coats tails and stopped living on like the small things that we had walked through together, but really, really got the opportunity to make Jesus real for us. Like he was no longer the God of Abraham, Isaac. He was the God of, of chance and Gina. And that's so cool to partner in that moment and have that. And I will tell you if you're married or if you're going to be married, the most important thing you can ever do is make God real for you. And regardless of what you're walking through, even if you're single, making God real for you and making him your God, right? Like he is, he is mine and I am his. Um, so I wanted to talk to you partially needed to share the backstory of where this came from, but then also wanted to talk to you about what God downloaded to me about this battle plan. Cause like I said, I apparently, you can't Google that or you might be able to now and it might be all over the internet. You probably would find everything there now, but, um, the first step that God gave me of defining your, or of your battle plan is define your enemy and define your objective right? You can't go to war if you don't have an objective because how do you know that you won your war? And you also can't go to war if you don't know who your enemy is, right? So who, think about like whatever fight you're fighting right now, think about what your enemy is. And I can tell you if you're thinking it's your spouse or a family member or even an addiction or something like that, that there is so much deeper rooted in that. We, um, in Ephesians, Ephesians, 
Oh, Ephesians. I'm sorry. Ephesians 6, 12 in the Passion Translation. I love what it says in the Passion. It says, your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. So in that moment, God was like, write your battle plan. He was so good and so gracious to me to reveal the spiritual realm that I didn't have to, I wasn't, I was so hurt by my husband, but I didn't see the pain from him. I saw the spirit. God revealed the spiritual realm. And all of a sudden, everything that I was feeling, it was not towards my husband. It was towards the things that were coming at him and the attacks that he was under. It was God revealed. And and I can say only God would do this because I have Sicilian in me. <laughs> I It would have been very easy for me to have absolutely shut it down and been like, nope, no way. And I I had ultimatum that. That was my decision. I, if this ever happened to me, that was it. I'm done. I'm out. No more. But God showed me what chance looked like through his eyes. And I saw the child. That I saw him as a child. I saw him not only as a child of God, but just literally as a child, as if he was my daughter. My, You know, if I were to have a son, what I would imagine my son would be like. And all of a sudden, how do you just walk out on that? So he changes your perspective, right? When you ask him to. So defining that enemy, knowing you're not fighting flesh and flesh and blood, you're fighting your, your <laughs> excuse me, you're fighting your principalities. And then um, the other thing is, what are you what are you fighting for? So whatever the fight is, it doesn't. Mine obviously a lot of this is is applying to my marriage and the things that we walk through. But what is it that you are fighting for? And knowing that it needs to be progress-focused, not problem-focused, right? So what is it? Like, we we can all sit here and point out exactly what's wrong, what we don't like, right? You can think of your problems. You can think of whether it's your marriage or a situation, right? And you can absolutely, if I were to be like, hey, what's wrong with your marriage right now? Or what's wrong with this situation right now? You could list off, I guarantee you, 10 things on like that of what's wrong. Well, you know, he doesn't clean up. He doesn't put his socks away. He doesn't whatever, right? Like we can all do that if we let our minds go there. But what about that is a victory? Like, where are you standing? What defining that victory? What is victory for your situation, your war, your battle? What does victory mean? And again, God showed me like the Afghanistan war, right? We pulled out and nobody can sit here and tell me that there, that was a victorious win, right? Why was that? There was no clear objective. There was no definition of what victory looked like. So when we pull out, of course it looks like a flop, right? So again, if you're going to, if you're in war, if you're going to war, you have to have a clear objective. You have to actually define what victory looks like for you in your circumstance. Um, the next part that he talked to me about was kingdom rules of engagement. So rules of engagement, right? Um, basically put, you can Google this. I did, um, (laughs) rules of engagement dictate who you can shoot at and under what circumstances, the buildings and infrastructure you can target, the weapons and equipment you are allowed to use, your legal obligations to aid and protect non-combatants and treatment and transfer of prisoners, right? Like that's basically put what rules of engagement look like if you are part of the like military. 
So with that, what are your kingdom rules of engagement? You have to go into, you can't go into a war without any kind of definition of what, how you're going to fight, right? Because again, A, you're not going to have victory and B, you're going to do things that you're not proud of because you're going to go to war from a worldly standpoint, not from a kingdom standpoint. And that is one of the most detrimental things you can do for any battle that you're facing. So even though, um, you're fighting, like what I, what I was saw when I was working on this was even though you're fighting an insidious opponent, you're ob- obligated to operate under the most holies rule of engagement. If love is not your number one objective, you are fighting out of bounds. So it doesn't matter how jacked up the enemy is, right? When it's spiritual warfare, those demons don't care what rules they're playing by. But we're op- to operate under the holy one's operation and out of his kingdom and under his dictatorship, not dictatorship, but under his covering. And so if you are not acting out of love, if you are not fighting from a place of love, you're not going to have a defined victory. Um, where are your boundary lines for your battle? So this one kind of goes into what is the root issue that you're fighting? So again, for us, um, you know, I, I said, I, I found a conversation that was um, really, really hard. Well, there was another gal that was in his text stream and there was nothing crazy or anything like that, but it was still another, there was still another woman and I don't know who she, I didn't know who she was. And so you look at that and it's easy on the human side to want to know all the details, right? Like, I want to know the nitty gritty. I want to know where you've met her. I know, I want to know who she is. I want to know her social security. I want to know how to find her. And I might need to know who she might know that I know because I'm going to need to dispose of them as well, right? Like, that's, that's very human. That's very real of us, right? But the fact of the matter is, is what I was talking to, because I, I struggled with that, guys. Like, I, that was hard. It's to sit there and sacrifice and be willing to say, you know what, God? I, I don't know that this is true. How do I know that this is true? There's no proof. I mean, I could have probably gone through and done a whole lot of like investigative work on our phone log and stuff like that. But to be honest, I didn't want to have to do that. Like I wanted to go into a position where I, I asked my husband a question and I got honesty. I don't want to have to search for honesty. I want him to provide it. So I'm not going to go on a wild goose hunt through my text, through our phone logs and have to reveal every single thing that's in there just to be able to prove whether he's right or wrong. Ultimately, whether he's right or wrong, it doesn't matter to me because God he God is who he answers to. I answer to God. My actions, again, if I'm not fighting out of love, right? What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not boastful. Love is all of the things, right? In 1 Corinthians, you can look them up. So if you're... If I was not to be willing to be honest, if I was not willing to be patient with my husband, then I'm not operating it within my boundaries. And I'm not working out of a kingdom. I'm not working from the kingdom's point of view. So it was easy for me to want the details. But what I asked God, I said, God, I just remember like being so broken and asking him like, God, how do I know that this is it? And he said, he, again, this is another time I audibly heard him. If there would have been a thousand women, would your answer change? Would your, would your fight be different? And it was not, God was not condemning like my decision-making He, You know, I mean, if you look biblically, I have every right to be in a position of 
wanting to walk away from that, right? They say that's in the Bible. That's a covering that you have. So it wasn't like God was saying like, well, if there was a thousand, would it be? It was genuinely like, if there was a thousand, would your decision be any different? And I just remember sitting there and being like, no, God, it wouldn't be any different. And he said, okay, then it doesn't matter. All of the butterflies, all of the you know, you think of like a tree, right? And a tree comes up, you've got main, one main tap root and you've got the tree or plant or whatever. And like goat heads, right? Who knows about them? Those things go like, those suckers can go 50 feet in every direction, right? And it's like one solid root that it comes back to. But the point of the matter is, is it comes back to one root. It doesn't matter what all the tree branches are. It doesn't matter what all the fruit are that are falling off of it. It doesn't matter how many little butterflies are floating around it. Candace and I were laughing about the butterflies. It doesn't matter because it all comes back to one. There is one, if it happened once, how are you going to fight it? If it happens twice, it doesn't matter because it's happened once. So whatever that thing is for you, again, it could be your mar- it could be in your marriage. It could be an addiction. It could be something so secret that you haven't even told God what it is. If it happens once, God wants to know how are you going to handle it, right? And so, um, And that's what I kept hearing was, it doesn't matter. But that's where God as the redeemer comes in. Because even though it happened once, he's there to redeem it. If it happens twice, he's there to redeem it. If it happens 10,000 times, he's there to redeem it. So um, the other thing about that is, what is the temptation and why is it there? And I was talking about it, and it's like, okay, so if you're on a clean eating streak, right, and you're doing really good, and you hate chocolate, and somebody comes up to you with a chocolate bar and waves it under your nose, Are you going to be real tempted by that and break your clean eating? Are you going to be like, no, I think I'm good with my salad, right? Whatever. Now, if you were a real sucker for, (laughs) if you're a real sucker for like caramel and somebody comes up to you with one of those like caramel candle candy things or whatever, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier for you to be like, yeah, I'll take a sucker. I'll take that. That'd be cool. You know, and it's a little compromise. You know, I didn't say that it was an entire cake somebody walks up to you with. It's one little candy. It's one little compromise right? But the compromise there, that temptation is, sorry, let me see. Yeah. So what is it that's causing that temptation to be there? What are the things that the enemy is flaunting you with that needs to be handled and needs to be addressed? And I, Jason Dalton said something the other day on one of his deals where it's like, okay, so if you were tempted by a woman, and he's talking obviously to men, That'd be weird. But if you were tempted by a woman, do you, do you just throw it away or do you evaluate like, okay, he's like, he says, I evaluate where that temptation comes from. And why is it that that is something? If I saw somebody walk, you know, he was saying like, if I see a girl, somebody asked me, like, if I saw a girl, what, and she was, you know, dressed risque or something, how does that affect you? And he says, well, God gave me a sex drive. I naturally am going to be excited. Like it looks good. But then I check myself immediately and say, but it's not mine. So then I go back to what is mine and I start looking at the things that are mine that God has given me. And I start evaluating where, why is this tempting? What is it that caused that reaction for me? And it doesn't, it's not a bad thing. Temptation is there because there's something that needs to be filled. Temptation can either lead you to sin or it can lead you to evaluate your circumstances and say, I need this in my life. I need my husband to communicate to myself. I take, I go to this drug because I'm, I'm having a hard time coping with the world. And so the only thing that makes me sleep at night is drinking myself to sleep or, or using weed 
and whatever else. And who, who knows what other options, right? And there's no, it's not even that there's shame. There's no shame to be there. It's the fact that you evaluate that situation and you draw yourself to God in that situation. You pull that in. So the other thing was, what are the guardrails for your battle? So guardrails, right, are going to be things that are extremely practical. So you can't have a guardrail and have it be something that is so abstract that you have no way of obtaining it, right? Because all that's going to do is make you either feel like there's no way I'm going to be able to do this, or it's going to make you feel like just set up for failure every time. So the things that God gives you, ask him for guardrails in your situation. For us, again, this goes back to marriage, but this can be applied everywhere. What are the guardrails that you have for your marriage? For us, they were simple, um, like sharing social media passwords. Again, that's not for me to be his, his keeper and make sure that I go through his social media messages every day or anything like that. But there's mutual respect because if you have it, then it's, then you keep yourself accountable, right? And no different. Anything that I asked of him was something I was willing to do. So you can't have a double standard. You can't ask for something and then keep a double standard and say, well, this is because you messed up. This is because you did this. Because again, you're not fighting from love. You're not staying within your rules of engagement. So um, for us, sharing social media passwords, simple thing. This sounds really silly, but praying together, right? Like that's an amazing place to start. Whether that's in your marriage, maybe you're dealing with an addiction or you have somebody who's dealing with an addiction, just praying together. It's amazing what the word of God does in a situation and going to him in prayer. You know, like we as Christians, it's so easy to pray for somebody else. Like Kayleen, I know you are going through a really hard time. I don't know this, but, but I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to believe God to show up for you. But why is it that we forget to do that for ourselves? It's like the being in the boat. Those disciples have done the things, they've acted the acts. Bringing it back and bringing it to them is so, so important for them to make it real. Another portion of it is what plunders of war are yours and which ones lead to sin? So as we were talking about this, um, the story in 1 Samuel 15 comes up where Saul was directed by God to go and to take out the Amalekites. And he tells them, plunder, he says, you have to destroy everything. Men, women, children, animals, nothing comes back. Nothing's alive. So Saul goes, he hears God's commandment. He agrees to God's commandment and he goes out. He goes to war. They destroy the Amalekites. They destroy the men. They destroy the women. They destroy the children. They destroy most of the animals, not all the animals. They keep the fat calves, they keep some home and they say, oh, well, we're going to keep these because we're going to take them and we're going to offer them to God as a sacrifice because, you know, God, that was what you do. You, they were amazing fat calves. You offer them as sacrifices. Why would you go to waste? Why would we kill them? What did God commanded to kill all the animals, not to bring a living thing home. So in doing so, Saul decided what plunders were his and which ones were God's not God deciding. He took the obedience, like disobedience, and clothed it in obedience. And in doing so, he stepped into sin and he lost his kingdom. And that, from that moment on, Samuel told God, or God told Samuel, and Samuel told him, 
this kingdom is never your, will never be yours again. You've lost your rule. And Saul comes back and he's crying and he's weeping and he's saying, please, like I made a mistake, but it doesn't matter because his obedience, they, or his disobedience, he closed in obedience. So that's another thing is recognizing when you're going to war, God's going to promise you spoils, but you have to stay in alignment with what God says, because the victory that you gain is not going to be the same if you try to take what is not yours, you give all to God. So the next part of, and I apologize guys, like it got real hot up here. <laughs> oh man. Sorry. Hey, no, <laughs> thought that kind of party. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so sorry. Um, picking your alpha team. So this is the next stage of your battle plan. Pick your alpha team. So what does that mean? So what God was showing me at this time was you have to decide and you have to pick who your, um, who are the people that are going to go to war with you and who are the special ops operators that you want by your side? So I thought he gave me this picture of like alpha teams on special forces teams, right? Think of Green Berets. You think of Navy SEALs, right? When they operate, they don't take just anybody with them. They train together. They live together. They eat together. They breathe together. They sleep together. They're in one accord. They know what the objective is. They know who the enemy is. And they're there, and they're going to take them out at all costs. There is no question. And there is not a single one of those men who is not willing to take a bullet for the other. Not a single one of those men. So when you are facing your war, when you're facing your battle, you dang well better be in community with people who are going to have your back. And you are, God, the whole reason we are sitting in this room together is because if you are in this room with us, if you're listening to this, whatever it is, you, I will go to war 100% for you. And you go to war for me. That's the things that we do as sisters in Christ. You put aside your differences, you put aside your jealousies, your hurts, all of those things. And if your sister needs war, you better step up and go to war. Having those people in your life who trust, who you can trust. Now I say this, there's going to be a difference between how people operate, right? Your special forces team is not going to consist of the mechanic who's over here on U.S. soil, right? They're not going along with Alpha Bravo teams, right? But they're still there to wrench on the equipment that goes. So God is going to have people around you that are going to be there who will wrench on you, and they may not know anything that you have seen. They may not know exactly where you've been. They may never know where you're headed. But they're there to do the work behind the scenes. So those people are like you and I sitting in here. And when you step up and say, hey, I need prayer, it's a lot that I've got going on. I don't really have a whole lot to be able to talk about it, but I need prayer. And you've got your sisters who, and your brothers who sit there and they war for you. Those are like the mechanics who are still here on U.S. soil. And those tanks and those equipment are going overseas. They're not, they're not going on the deployment. They're here, right? But you also have the people that you can trust that are going to be there. And those are your accountability partners. Those are the ones that are going to go to war for you. Those are the ones that are going to take a bullet for you. And they're going to cover you and cover your back in every situation. Again, for us, it was a marriage thing, right? So those people are the ones for us that we're going to stand next to us and pray for us as a team. 
not pick a side, not say, oh, you're right, he really is an idiot, or, oh, you're right, you really were an idiot because you didn't, you know, if you would have just communicated with your husband, you wouldn't have had this problem, right? You have those people that are speaking life into you as a team. So there are people, including my family, I didn't tell. I mean, my my some of my family still doesn't know what happened between Chance and I because I knew that they would take my side, right? Like, they were, even if I was the one who stepped out, they would have called me out on it, but they still would have had my back, right? I didn't need somebody having my back. I needed somebody having our back. I needed somebody who was going to war with us. So having, asking God to equip you with those people who are going to fight for your victory in whatever circumstance it is. The next part is understanding and putting on your armor. So in Ephesians, we go, I talked about Ephesians already, but in Ephesians, it says, because of this, you must wear all the armor of God provided so that you are protected as you confront the slander for you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. It goes on from there. Put on truth as a belt of strength or to strengthen you as you stand in triumph. Put on holiness as a protective armor that covers your heart. Stand on your feet alert and you will always be ready to share blessing of peace. In every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield for it is able to extinguish the blazing, I'm sorry, the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. Embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies and take up the mighty razor sharp sword of spirit or spirit sword of the spoken word of God. So when you know what your armor is, you know how to utilize it. You can feel covered and protected when you go to war. So, um, in this Ephesians, we're told, right, that the sword of the spirit of, uh, sword of the spirit, uh, is, is, sorry, is the word, right? But what God was also showing me at this time, he started calling them truth trenches. And he gave me this picture of, um, is anybody in here watch like Band of Brothers, right? Or like any old, um, military, like, a, you know, like a war movie or something from like Vietnam or like World War II era. That's what the picture that God gave me. And I know that trenches are still used in modern warfare, but not the, to the same level that they were used there. But you, I, he just showed me this battlefield, right, of all these trenches and the opposing armies fighting together. And he had, and he was talking to me about it, and he said, those trenches, what are they used for? And I was, you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, you dive in it. If you have bullets coming, it's lower ground, so they go over you, right? And he goes, yeah, but it's an offensive mechanism as well because every trench that they dug towards the enemy's territory and they occupied that trench became an offensive mechanism because you're taking enemy territory. Now, also, if the enemy comes at you, it's a defensive mechanism because you can hide in it, right? Like you can duck in it or you can like tunnel, you know, that was a big thing in Korea and stuff like that. They tunneled and were able to gain territory that way. Well, um, God started telling me, he said, using the word of God, having your, having those scriptures, having those worship songs, like I talked about with Kirsty singing, this is how I fight my battles. Those were so heavily laid on my heart that it became the thing that you use to fight the enemy with, right? It's your truth trench. It's so encompassing that when you need to fall into that trench, 
It is so written on your heart. You don't have to pull up your phone to look up and it like, oh my gosh, what is the top 10 scriptures on healing, right? It's there. It's written for you. It's written on your heart. So you can completely be covered and surrendered in that. But also, how was it that Jesus fought the tempts, the temptations when he was in the desert? He was able to do so because he used God's word. The enemy came at him and said, hey, this is what I'm doing. Or, you know, doesn't it say that in the word, if you, if you were to stub your toe, the angels will save you. Whatever. If you jump off this building, the angels will save you. And Jesus refuted everything that he said with the word of God. So it becomes an offensive mechanism as well. And then defensively, you know that when those bullets are coming, you fall under that covering of God's wing. In Psalms 91, 4, he says, He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His trust shall be your shield and buckler. So whatever those items are, write out your scriptures. Have your worship songs. Build yourself a war, um, a, ba- a war room, sound lit, or a soundtrack. Um, on my phone, I still have it, and I still use it to this day. And it was specifically songs that spoke to me in that moment, and it was called my war room playlist. And I just kept adding songs that spoke the word of God over me. Write them on your mirror. Use an Expo marker and write it on your mirror. Write it on a sticky note. Post it wherever you can see it. But have those scriptures that you can fall on when you need them. Some of them for me were 1 Peter 3, 1, 3, 1 through 2. It says, And now let me speak to the wives. Be devoted to your husband so that even if some of them do not obey the word of God, your kind conduct will win them over without saying a thing. For when they observe your pure godly life before God, it will impact them deeply. I could sit there and I could have yelled at my husband. I could have told him all the things he was doing wrong. I could say, look at it. I'm reading my Bible. Where are you? I'm doing this. Where are you? Right? But that doesn't get us anywhere. All I had to do and all I knew to do was say, God, I need you to show up in a way that I've never needed you to show up before. And he said, just stay quiet, stay humble, do your thing, and I will come for you. And I will rescue your husband as well. And that was the other thing. He started shifting my viewpoint of my husband. No longer was my husband, again, with the enemy. He wasn't my enemy, but he was a prisoner of war. So if you have a prisoner of war, are you going to let him sit and rot in a cell? Or are you going to go fight for him? So whatever that addiction is that you're facing, whatever that anger, that bitterness that you're holding on to, whatever those things are that plague you, that are the battles that you're facing, don't let your prisoner of war sit. You go and you fight. So then the other ones were um, Ecclesiastes 10.18. Because of laziness... The buildings decay, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. It's kind of like a dark one for me to sit on as a truth trench, but it really was one of those, like, don't be lazy. Even if your marriage is built on a foundation of Christ, if you don't do the work, it'll still crumble. It doesn't matter how beautiful the house is. If you don't show up and do the work, it's going to fall down. So don't let your hands be idle, and don't be lazy. Um... Psalms 119.05, may the words be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I had no clue what I was going to do. I had no clue how to walk this out. But I knew that God would provide it if I asked him for it. And so every single day, multiple times during the day, I was, God, please, I need you. Show me what to do. What's my next step? How do I walk this out? And every single time God was faithful and he every single time put that next lamp 
step in front of me and that next footing. And sometimes, guys, it was real, real hazy. There was a lot of fog. But every single time I drew close to God, he said, here's your next step, baby girl. You got it. It's okay. Here's your next one. So falling on that one, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you're broken, when you have nothing left and you don't even know, I remember I was reading through, (laughs) I haven't brought this up yet. This is my journal, right? When I first found out about everything, one of my girlfriends was nursing a baby at the same time as I was. And so I called her at two o'clock in the morning. Sorry, that got really loud. Called her at two o'clock in the morning and I said, Hey, I, um, I found some stuff out. I'm really struggling and I'm, I'm a wreck. I just break down on the phone with her and she tells me you need to go pray for him. And I was like, <laughs> the key later. I will do that later. And to be honest, I didn't have the strength to walk upstairs and go pray for my husband right then. That was not in me at that moment. But what I did know to do is I walked upstairs and I found a journal and this was the one I just started this journal and I wrote out my prayer and I started journaling in there and I wrote the things and fast forward. I was probably like six hours later. It's like, you know, that was like two o'clock in the morning. It's probably like eight, nine o'clock in the morning. I finally had the gumption to walk in the room and I sat down on the bed with him and he was destroyed. He was devastated. And I prayed with him. And I will tell you, that was the most humbling prayer I've ever had to pray. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do hard things through Christ who strengthens me. If you're facing stuff in your marriage, if you're facing addiction, if you're facing jealousy, if you're facing anger, envy, boastfulness, all of the things, right? It lists them all out in Ephesians. Um, C-Dub did a wonderful job of listing a lot of them in his message a little bit ago. All of those things, right? You can face those through Christ. So I have my very first like notes in here. I'll show you. Here's my very first, 224.21, my very first writ, writing to God. And I poured it out. Sorry, I don't know what that is. And <laughs> on there, I have, this is how I fight my battles. It may, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. My weapon is my melody. And that's all I need to do is to worship God and to pray and to sing and to give it to him. So with those, remembering your prophecies and promises and your testimonies. So that's my next step is weaponing up. You got to get your weapons. We are women, but every single person in this room is a warrior. God has declared you as a warrior and you have weapons in your arsenal. And it's about time for you guys to start using them if you haven't already. So the number one is obviously the word of God, right? Is a sword. And in there, I just wanted to give you an example. So one of the notes that I wrote says, Father, today I ask for healing for chance. This was on 5621. Heal his eyes so that he doesn't focus on anything or anyone that will hinder his destiny. Psalms 119.37. 
Heal his heart so that he can freely give and receive the outpouring of love that you and others want to offer. Ezekiel 36, 26. Heal his ears so that he only listens to wise and godly counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Heal his mouth so that only words that edify you and are kind proceed out of it. Ephesians four twenty nine. Heal his mind so that he meditates on your words and whatever that is pure and that is good report. Philippians 4, 8. Heal his feet so that he doesn't walk unrighteously before you or get caught in some hidden trap laid by the enemy. Psalms 31, 4. For myself, God, I pray for your love and joy to abound around and with me. And I go on and write more, right? But those were the things as I didn't know what else to do. I started writing things that I knew. I looked up scriptures. I found things, right? And I wrote those on my heart and I wrote those for my husband. And I wrote them for myself because as much as I could sit there and look at my husband and say, you need this, like, oh, Lord, baby Jesus, you need Jesus, right? Like we can do that. That's easy. But look in your mirror, right? How many things do you need to have Jesus heal you and walk with you on? And so I think that was one of those things is it's finding that gumption of being like, God, I need you. One of the other things that I wrote that just came to me was... Hold on. Sorry. I wrote, this is how I fight my battles a lot, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's all over this. Um, another thing that really quick, as I'm rolling through this, another one, that, another lyric that really hit me was, I don't want to run on somebody else's passion. I don't want to find that I'm just dry bones. I want to feel that unquenchable fire deep down inside. Keep me coming alive. Help me find my own flame. Help me find my own fire. I want the real thing. I want your burning desire. So again, finding your, don't be living on somebody else's coach streams. Find God for you in your, in your place, in your position. Um, man, it was in here. Apparently it's not, I don't know. Maybe I didn't need to share it with you because I can't find it now. But there was another part in there that was real good that I wrote because of that. But again, it was everything to do with, I need you. I need you, Jesus. Prophecy is another thing. So prophecy, wage war with the prophecies that have been spoken over you. Know the promise that God has for you. In 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20, it says, So Timothy, my son, I am entrusting you with this responsibility in keeping with you the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life, that you are, that are now in the process of fulfillment in the great work of ministry, keep with the prophecies that were spoken over your life in keeping with the prophecies spoken over you. With this encouragement, use your prophecies as a weapon as you wage spiritual warfare by the faith, by faith and clean conscience. So one of our other weapons that we get to use are the prophecies, simply the promises that God has spoken for you. If it's marriage, God, God easily, very plainly says, that where two are four, where two are joined, let no man separate. When you are married, you are a three-strand cord. You, your husband, and yourself, and your, and God. There's all sorts of, of, of promises, right? That God has put in His Word about marriage. There's all sorts of promises that God has put in there for addictions, for healing, for again going back even something as simple as anger. Right? Who who here hasn't dealt with anger or 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 just hurt? Right? And forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is a big one. God tells us to forgive, but it's hard to forgive sometimes. So again, what are those promises? What are the things that God has spoken to you about your circumstance and about where you as a child of God is? If you don't know what he's written for your circumstance, know that you're a child of God and look up what he has written for you as a child of God. Start defining what a child of God is and what he has in store for them. And you will be incredibly amazed by what he has to show for you. And then testimony. Testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. That's in Revelations 19.10. Whatever has happened in the past, he will do again. He will do for another person. He is not a respecter of person, which means that the things that he has done for Kayleen, the things that he's done for Taylor, the things that he's done for Katie, he doesn't keep those just for, well, that was just for Katie. That's just for Taylor. You guys don't get to share in it. Sorry. Go find your own toy, right? God's not like that. He says, what I've done for her, I will do for you. What I've done for Bailey, I will do for you. What I've done for Destiny, I will do for everybody else in the world. I will do whatever I need to do, and I will do it as many times as I need to do it for every person who needs it. So what are those things? If you don't have a testimony that you can think back on, I mean, that was one of the things. It's like, God, you've shown up for me in all these other ways. I know that I, I have to believe that you'll show up now. So I had testimony that I could write on on my own. But I started to look up, what are other testimonies? Who are other people? I started praying, God, give me somebody who can give me wisdom and insight in this, who's walked this out and has had victory in this. Because I need what they have. I need that, that, that testimony. If it's healing from cancer, you know what? He, Nick was healed of cancer. I guarantee you go talk with him. If he can do it for Nick, he can do it for somebody else. We had babies Turn, cancer turned into babies. You want a testimony to stand on? There's one right over there. You, if you need anger pulled out of you, you go find somebody who has dealt with anger and frustration and madness to the point where they used to punch walls, that they used to, you know, do whatever they need to do, scrap, and you go find what Jesus has done for them. There is a testimony out there and there is victory for you in that person's testimony. If you do not know that person, pray that God puts them in your path. It might be really awkward. I was joking about this earlier, but like, it might be real awkward if you deal with cocaine issues. Like, you may not just walk up in church and be like, hey, I have an issue with that, right? But so again, God's not asking you to make yourself uncomfortable. And I say that somewhat jokingly, but that's a real thing. Like, I'm not, as much as I say that as a joke about being awkward, here in the church setting, it's the enemy has made it very easy for us to hide because as a church body, we want to sit there. And if somebody came to me and said, Hey, I, you know, somebody comes to you and you say, Hey, I deal with cocaine addiction. I need help and freedom. How many times the church, not our church, but the church has shut them down and said, you sinner, you are disgust me, get out, go somewhere else. How many times have we done that? So we have made it very easy to hide the enemy, to, for the enemy to hide our situation, make us feel like we are the only ones who are ever dealing with it. And we are the only ones who ever knew what was going on. And the only person who ever knows what it's like to deal with this addiction, this anger, this whatever, because the church as a whole has sat there and been like, "Mm, that's a little too dark for us. We preach joy, the joy of the Lord, right? But the joy of the Lord is finding freedom for that person. The joy of the Lord is helping this person overcome that addiction. So 
I joke about the whole thing, but genuinely, if you don't want, if you're in a position where it is too personal for you to sit there and say, Hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Find that person who's a mechanic and just say, Hey, I'm dealing with something hard. I need you to, I need you to wrench on me for a little bit. I just need you to pray over me. I'm not going to, I can't tell you everything about it, but I, I need you to pray and then pray that God puts somebody in your path. Here's another one that I did and it worked. It was not like my battle plan. Google it. Like you can Google things and look up testimonies, right? Like he doesn't hide testimonies on Google. He can't do that. Apparently he can hide bore plans, but he can't hide testimonies. I found a number of them. So if I found them in that time, I guarantee they're out there. So look up those. And then (laughs) this is something that was jokingly, but like, if you don't have a stone to throw at that giant, go get you a stone. Like, get you some stones. That's a legit quote. But seriously, go get you some stones. Find somebody who has that stone and take it to war with you. The giant was only killed because David brought his stones. Those stones were testimonies of everything else that he had killed, everything else that he had had victory over. He didn't pick up a stone. He didn't use, well, first of all, he didn't use the armor that was given to him by Saul because he had nothing with it. He had no personal attachment. He had no testimony with that armor. He'd never tested it. He never wore it. He'd never gone to war with it, but he had testimony to stand on and he had prophecy to stand on with the stones that he brought. I think there was somewhere it was said that like guys who threw stones at the time, throw them like it was the equivalent of a high caliber rifle. So when you sit there and we look at what David did, it was the equivalent of taking a high caliber rifle to war. So I think sometimes we look at that and like, oh, he just picked up his little stones. So like, no, that was him taking his assault rifle. Get you some stones. And then with that, whatever you got to, yeah, whatever stones you need, we'll go down to the river. We can baptize, we can get stones, we can get whatever you need. But, um, with that too, I had one other thing that I was going to say before I had a little activation for us. Um, let me see. I think the big thing is, is again, things are never too dark for God. Things are never too intense for him. And it's funny when you start speaking the things that you have problems with, how God shows you the people that you need to talk to, and not only the ones that you are going to be empowered by, because they say, hey, by the, you're, not, you're not that crazy. You're not that broken. We were here too. We did this also. We walked through the same thing. He also is going to use your story that you have, that testimony inside of you, to encourage them too. He's going to bring the people who need to hear the words that you have to say over the situation that you have in store. And he's going to say, so that way you can be the person who says, don't worry, you're not that broken. I've been broken too. And let me tell you about my Jesus. He can heal. He redeems. He restores. He is everything that you need him to be and more. We have not even topped the surface of what Jesus can do for us. And what he is willing to do for us. Because his love is so immense and is so big that us as humans cannot even fathom where it starts and where it ends. So just knowing that in your situations, knowing that in your heart, and writing that portion as your scripture on your heart, 
of it does not matter where you are, what you've been through, what you're dealing with, or what you're going to deal with in the next 10 years that you don't even know is coming down the road. Because I can tell you, me and my husband, we had a great marriage. We had a really, really good marriage. We were strong. We were founded on Christ. We were serving in the church. We were asked to take over the marriage ministry before that even happened. So talk about a hard one where I'm like, hey, so can we still help with the marriage ministry? Because we have some stuff. Because that's what the enemy will tell you. He'll sit there and tell you, well, you're walking through this. It's going to be really unfortunate for you. You're going to lose your ministry. It was right before, I don't know who, how many people were here for the the event that Mark Herrick put on, the women, uh, the couples event. Um, it was like Operation Possible, or Mission Possible, Mission Possible. And it was a date night for people. Okay, I was on board. Mark was telling me about his vision. I was like, yes, Chance and I are there. We're going to help you. I walk into, it was a Tuesday. I can tell you it was a Tuesday that I found out because Wednesday, Tinley had um, had a um, preschool in the morning. And I walked into the preschool room. We were doing a co-op. And so there was a, some, a number of other moms there. And one of them was Kelly Herrick. And I sat down with her. And I walked in the door. And it's very obvious that I was sleep deprived in my eyes. We're probably as puffy and as red as Katie's sweater, red color wise. And I'm like puffy as like a, I don't even know what, like a puffer fish. And Katie uh, and Kelly is there. And I, I broke down. I told her everything that was happening. Um, and I just remember being like, can I still help you and Mark put this on? You know, because that's what the enemy does is he disqualifies you. As moment that you have something to stand on, he's going to disqualify you. Well, you'll never be able to talk to married people because your marriage, your marriage is falling apart. Fast forward from 2021 to 2023, Chance and I have now taken over as leads of the marriage class. We've done that because we both are passionate to tell, to not just sit here and say that we have all the answers. I don't, we don't have the answers, but I can tell you who does. Jesus does. And I can every time point you to him. And I can tell you what I've walked through and I can give you wisdom of what we've done, but he qualifies you in those moments. So everything that you feel like is being stripped away from you when you're going under those in that battle and in that war, God is going to take not only redeem, but then multiply it back tenfold to you. He says that in his word, stand on that. The other thing that I had to say before we do this activation, and I feel very strongly about this and I have is every single person in here, whether you have a little one or not, we are here and called to impact the next generation. It is very easy to look at this world and say, oh my gosh, what do my kids have to grow up in? I've done that. I was, I was in a whole nother mental place over that, right? But we also have had our children declared as the dragon slaying and giant killing generation. I can sit here and tell you that generation that's coming up underneath us is not going to do that if we don't deal with our own generational curses and our chains now. So this right now, before we go into this activation as a calling for each and every person to step out of their, of their place of comfort, to get into a position where you are willing to partner with God willing to fight for the things that you have, willing to break the chains that you have. It does not matter how old or how young you are. For that generation to kill those those giants, they better, heck, have those chains released. 
So that is our job. Our calling is to step out of that place of comfort, step into the position of healing, get uncomfortable with your addictions, get uncomfortable with your anger, get uncomfortable with your hatred, get uncomfortable with your lust, get uncomfortable with your husband and go to war and do the things that you need to do now so that our kids can actually fight the dragons and kill those giants that they have to kill. Because I'm telling you, the giants that are coming, they're real. We've seen them. So let's get to slaying them and let's get to slaying our own chains. So thank you. So with that being said, I have a song. Uh, Mercy Culture is an amazing, um, amazing worship group. And they have a song called Giant. And the song is pretty simple. It says, all I need is a memory of a victory, like a stone in a sling, like every time you fought for me. First came the bear, then came the lion, then came the giant, down goes the giant. So we're going to listen to this song. I want you guys just to soak in it. I want you to use it as your battle cry. I want you to use it as whatever you need it to do. But I think that now is the time it is imperative for us to... Be willing to yoke with Jesus, to take up our slings, go get you some stones, and let's take down a bear. Let's take down a lion, because that giant, he's coming, and he's going to go down. Thank you. So while they're putting that on, we'll just pray really quick. God, I just thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for the word that you have, God. I thank you for the battle plan that you've instilled in each and every one of us. And right now, God, I call up the warrior. I call up the warrior spirit in each and every person, God. I see, I see, this sounds weird, but I see um, us as women taking off our dresses and underneath being like a, a hide skin. And I see, I see swords, I see spears. And I see just a true battle cry coming from each and every woman in this church, God. I pray that this not only is for our church, but for each and every woman of Christ, Lord, that we find the stones that we need to sling at those giants and cause them to fall, God. We pray over the victory over the the lion. We pray for victory over the bear. We pray for victory over our giants, God. We thank you for the word that you have for us, that we can fall into and fall over us. Lord, that it is all-consuming in every thought that we have, Lord. I just pray for just that, just a true warrior spirit to come up, God. And I pray for that battle cry to come out so that we can go to war, Lord. We go to war in the name of love. We go to war in accordance with your holiness. We go in war in accordance to the things that you have for us, God. And we thank you for the victory. Lord, we be, we are careful to leave the plunders and leave those defined by you, God. We thank you for each and everything that you have done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes.